Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today, as per usual, is Jeff Clossy. Hello, Jay. Hello. Hello, Jay. That sounded like the neighbor from Tool Time. <laughs> Tim Allen and yeah. uh, what yeah, was yeah. the neighbor's name? Uh, uh, no. Al? Al? Oh, no. Someone's like No, Al's his best guys. friend. Al's his best friend. Yeah, well, Wilson. Wilson. Wilson, yeah, thanks. How could you It's been a that? long time. It's been wow. so long. There's a little blast from the past. That's funny so. that that came to your mind. <laughs> yeah, I just, well, you just, yeah, like, hello, neighbor. That's what it sounded <laughs> like. So, And that would be fitting because you're kind of the wise sage <sighs> of the office, and I'm the stop impulsive, like, more power kind of guy. Uh-huh, right. It feels like that a little bit. Sometimes I do feel like the Tim Allen of <laughs> the office. Although usually it's Michael Scott. Yeah. That's usually what what people are saying. So this morning, uh, speaking of Michael Scott, there I was at Menards early in the morning, which is actually my new favorite time of going there. Normally I don't know what, where I'm going, right, in Menards. And when you go at 8 o'clock in the yeah. morning, there's no one there. It's just amazing. Like you can find your way around easily and – um, all the employees are still in great moods because they haven't had any hard encounters yet, whatever. It's great. So this morning, there's this like magazine area on the way out, and there's one that has like Kevin from the office, and it's all chili recipes. And uh, Liam was with me, That's and uh, he didn't know what that was referring to, so we had to find the YouTube video of Kevin spilling the chili, and I could not stop laughing, even though I've seen it so many times, that scene. That. That scene does not make me laugh. It, I can't laugh at it. Oh, really? It's I too think it's heartbreaking. So... <laughs> it's too like. And I'm well, the that's guy why. That, I know. I get it. Like it's funny because normally I have no conscience when it comes to that, but that just like it gets me every time. I feel so badly for him. Um, you know, it, you're talking about Menards. I whenever I go to Menards, I feel like everyone's staring at me and thinking what a moron I am. <laughs> I try really hard to pretend like I know what I'm doing, even though I have no idea where I am or what's going on. And I'm looking for things and I try to be. Yeah, I, I try to go way under the radar. I hate it when people ask me if I need any help. Because I think what goes through my mind is you are not prepared to handle all the help I actually need. So it's kind of, it feels, <laughs> it feels all or nothing because if I, how ask much time them, do you have? Right. Cause like if I ask them a question about something, they're going to like nine times out of 10, they're going to say an answer that I can't comprehend that I have to like, it, it reminds me of the, again, from the office when he says like, explain it to me like I'm an eight year old. And then they explain it like that. And then explain it like I'm a four year old. <laughs> like I can't. I still don't understand. I've had those experiences there too. I knew yeah. what I needed this morning though, and it was easy in and out. So um, no one else starts shopping then though, because I like it how it is. I think I need to. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> if all of our podcast listeners start drove, like going Mastro's, there'll be like a national news story of Menards realizing like having a big customer we're push. And we're sending them all. They have to like, we got to we gotta expand our hours. Like, well, it was all started here. Yeah. So... Um, all right. Well, speaking of explaining things like you're a four-year-old, that's how I feel like when I'm reading scriptures and I, like when I read the Sermon on the Mount and when I read, which we're going to be starting here in a couple of weeks. So very, excited about this. Very excited. I often feel like asking that question to Jesus of, okay, explain. Like, it's almost like he's doing that with the kingdom of someone saying like, okay, explain it to me like I'm an eight-year-old. And then he gives the Sermon on the Mount. You're like, okay, explain it to me like I'm a four-year-old. I'm going to actually use that. Yeah, and then that's I'll, good. Then I'll be able to determine how many listeners we actually have by people who look like they've heard that line before. Um, but I feel that way a little bit with the countercultural. So this this week we talked about culture and the importance of culture, which I really tried to drive that home. Um, that number one, how critical culture is, because it's so common to ignore it or to think that culture develops around your goals and your mission and your all that. And it, and it doesn't really, it, it's, it's something that you have to intentionally cultivate, you know, any more than we've been using the garden illustration, but your the soil in your garden is not going to become hospitable to tomatoes just because you start planting tomato seeds. Like you have to, there's a lot of work that has to be done in that. And it is like the, it's it's the unseen. It's so much of the unseen work. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, there's fruit. And I feel like we've been seeing that a lot in the church lately where there's, we're seeing fruit that we think, man, where'd that come from? And you realize, well, that's coming from this culture, that this like kingdom culture that's being cultivated. Um, and, and so that's really exciting. But at the same time, even as I say that, 
when you're looking at different things that Jesus said about the kingdom um, and, the, and the culture that forms, the, the first one I mentioned that it's upside down is, is still like is the context for all of them because they don't they just don't always make sense. No, they don't. They, it's interesting how the way we're talking about culture right now, too, takes um, thoughtful, intentional action and like to not go a certain direction, but to go this direction, the direction of the kingdom. But on the other side of it, it ends up being automatic. Like it ends up being what you don't realize you're deciding because it's already part of the culture. Yeah. And that's what's challenging about it. And when Jesus starts talking about, you know, loving your enemies and not hating them, right. which could feel automatic, it is. It feels very upside down. It's just different than the way we're accustomed, I think, not only to living in the world, but to other people living around us, like responding to us. Mm-hmm. So a person responding to a mistake we make, so say we cut someone off in traffic unintentionally, you know, we know what the response will be if we look up, so we don't want to look up. Right. You know, and that's unfortunately the way of the world. The upside down way would be receiving that like, Jesus says, what does he say to do to people who curse you? Well, to bless them. Like that is the upside down way. Right. Um, Because it throws everything off. That reminds me that Lauren has always wanted to, Lauren wanted to invent an I'm sorry honk for the horn. Like she wishes that there were two, two horn honks and one, one is the assertive one and the other, but the other one is the I'm sorry, like, oops. Um, Because it is hard. Like when you, if you if you have I think all of us have had the experience where we've cut somebody off yep. or that we've done something where we're like oh no if I was that guy I'd be super frustrated and you want to try to communicate usually a wave is the is the thing but it would be so great if you had just like a little I'm sorry I oh. agree so much of this gets played out in that situation behind the wheel we like oh man were my that. brights really on for that whole stretch you know yeah. like oh boy Oh Wish gosh! Go yeah. Back and apologize. Oh man! That, you know. Yeah, and it's so funny because you do that, and then someone like flashes their brights at you, and you're like, "I'm sorry," and you know, yep. which I always say, but that's. Not I'm with actually. Lauren. We need. We do need that honk. You need the I'm sorry. I'm yep. the, I'm sorry honk. Okay. Well, that's not what this podcast is about. But you're right. It's it's counterintuitive. But here's the interesting thing: is I feel like God, not only does he, not only does the kingdom come about in this upside down way, to what our sin nature sees as normal um but there's also it's not like it's completely ridiculous because he sets like little easter eggs in creation that demonstrate this like one of the things that pops into my head that i didn't use on sunday is how a forest needs fire and how when a forest uh, when there's a control burn or a natural burn that happens like that actually will produce life and um and out of and it's only, you know, when a seed falls to the ground that life can come. Like there's there's natural things in the natural world that God has created that point to these ideas. So they're not they're not like counterculture they're countercultural, not counter creation. And and so that's important to remember that it's because of our sin um that it's that's why it doesn't make sense to us. It's not God coming in and saying, I'm going to do things that just totally don't make sense because then it'll take faith to believe in that. It's God is actually, the kingdom is coming about in the way that makes sense in light of creation, but it's our sin that makes it, that perverts it and makes it seem like the wrong thing or we, we feel like there's a better way to accomplish it. You know, and, and ultimately that's the big thing about cultivating a culture is otherwise we tend to, we tend to want to bring about God's kingdom in a way that is dishonoring to the king. And because we want to do it because we think we know better. And and that's not that's not uncommon. And the disciples dealt with that. There, there are a few times where they're like, hey, so should we call fire down from heaven? You know, and, and Jesus is like, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you why would you think that would be the response after all you've seen from me? Or when Peter draws his sword, like, why would you think that would be the response? Well, it's so ingrained in us that they just kept thinking, well, at some point we're going to have to fight physically. Like Jesus has been compassionate and healing and doing all these things. But at some point we're going to take matters into our own hands. And that's just never that's. And so we have to embrace the upside down nature of the kingdom because that's how Jesus has brought the kingdom. Yeah, it's interesting how 
in our sin nature, that's a good clarifying comment too, by the way, but in our sin, we will try everything to bring that about. And then when we fail to bring it about, that's when we then say, okay, God, how would you want to do this? You know, that's when we start praying um, because we've, we've tried all of our own human, what our human mind and our sin nature can conceive of to bring the kingdom about. And it doesn't happen because it comes about through God and his work. Um, it makes me think too, Jave, when the disciples would be, you get the sense of like impatience, like with John the Baptist, like, why is this taking so long? Like you're, you need to get, get, get this show going here, Jesus. You should mm-hmm. be proclaiming this from some, you know, we should make you king now. And he knew, he knew that it needed to come slowly and very deliberately through his action. But yeah, I mean, I think to me, that's part of you. One of the other points you talked about was inside out change and that the kingdom comes inside out. And those two things are so related, the upside down nature of the kingdom and the inside out nature of it. Right, because we we tend to think that... Um, that the appearance of holiness and that the, all of those outward displays and um, looking like we're religious, looking like we're happy, looking like we're, that that is the thing. Like whatever you do, you can't let anybody know that you're despairing or that you're um, concerned or, or, um, or that you're struggling with any kind of sin because that's being a bad representative. And I'm thinking like, no, that when we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, what we are making the appeal for is to be reconciled to God. It's not we're ambassadors for Christ because we stand for all the right issues and we do all the right things. We're ambassadors for Christ because we are communicating the worthiness of our king, which is demonstrated in our humility, in our repentance, in our like soft-heartedness, in our being slow to speak, you know, like quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. All of that demonstrates a trust in Christ which that is what we are that that is who we are an ambassador for not for our own you know not for our own morality and so be to do that we need to like be about that kind of that inside out change yeah which is so much different than just acting a certain way right it it's interesting how um you know i remember just growing up in the church and being as a teenager being very aware of the things that were off limits. Mm-hmm. And some of those in hindsight, actually it's very good they were off limits. Some of those were just cultural things that at the time were not allowed. And that consumed a lot of my thinking as a teen. What what am I not to do? And that's a, that is part of following Jesus. There are certain things that we that's not part of our life anymore because mm-hmm. we're in him. But man, is there much more positive that this is now what we are about. And that is what's meant to, I think, fill us and fill our mind and our thoughts as he works his life in us. You describe some of those character traits and those character traits get lived out in all of our real life situations that we go through every day. Yeah. You, you know, I remember years ago when in our little church plant back in Colorado, our worship leader, um, I picked him up and we were going to set up the set up everything in the little hotel conference room and um he's really struggling and he basically he just he just said i don't have any joy right this morning and i'm supposed to lead worship and he said what do i do and in his mind his options were at first his first instinct was to just fake it and just say well i need to put on a positive face put on a happy face and get up there and and um and act joyful but you know, we'd been together long enough that he knew like, ah, that doesn't feel quite right. So he, he asked, so then he asked, he's like, you know, I gotta be honest. I am not feeling joyful this morning. And it's like, so should I just like fake it? And, um, he goes, I said, well, I don't know if that sounds right. What are your other options? And and he was like, well, I feel like the only other option is to get up there and just be miserable. And like, and he goes, that doesn't seem right to like try to lead worship and be up there and be all like grumpy. And I'm like, yeah, fair point. I that also doesn't seem like a great option. But the question of, you know, in that inside out way or that upside down kingdom, is there a third option that we don't consider? And I think it's Keller who likes to point out like the third way of the gospel and how how often the world sees like, well, is it it's it's gotta either be this thing or this thing. So either either you pretend that you're happy or 
you just let everybody know you're miserable. And you're looking at that going, well, neither one of those seems very attractive. But there's a third way, which is in the confession of our lack of joy and in meeting God and feeling his presence there and reminding yourself of who you are and what the reality of the situation is, that you can just have a faithful response in that. And and so like what I encouraged, I said, you know, especially, you know, we had a we had an intimate church family and and I said, it, I think it's okay. He ended up like just confessing. I'm struggling this morning. And, um, but I know these things to be true. And I know what, I know what we're doing here and we're gathering together. And even the confession of that and the speaking it out to people then that he could receive mercy and kindness of God through them, because obviously it wouldn't shock you that our people did not respond with like, well, then get off the stage. And what are you doing up there? Like, no, they, they were incredibly kind and merciful and gracious and understanding and empathetic because there were people that had come that morning who were feeling that way. Exactly. And so now here they were like, so we're just going to declare these things because we know them to be true. Well, and what happens in there? Like um, the people who are feeling joyful that day are singing all the louder because they know they need to like, I'm going to minister to your soul right now because I know you, we both agree on the same things. We know these things are true, but, but we're going to, um, but I'm going to like pick you up, you know? And, and, and so I think that's, that's what we're trying to go after is I, I, I've seen a lot of churches and that whole inside out idea. And I don't know what your experience has been. I know in campus ministry, there's a, this is a, it's a common thing everywhere that you can be a part of a church family that just the culture is pretend everything's fine. Like just be happy, put on a smiley face, be joyful because we are joyful in the Lord. And so we're just, we're going to be joyful, you know, whatever, whatever the cost. Um, and if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to let anybody know. But then the other extreme that I've been a part of is when we're going to be identified by our sorrow mm-hmm. and that like, and that transparency equals <clears throat> kind of downtrodden and like pain and suffering and everything's about that. And if you're not, like if you're happy or joyful, then you're seen as disingenuous or not transparent because you're, you're, you're faking you're, it. You're faking it. Yep. Neither of those are the options, but I'm just curious, like if you, have you been in those extremes and how have you tried to help people? Like, what would you say to somebody who says, I'm not feeling very joyful. I don't know. Do I just, do I like you're fighting the temptation? Cause there's, and sorry, I'm, this is a long question, but I, I also want to preface it with, there's we we all i think can get on board with saying um faking holiness so people will see you as holy that is repulsive and i think everybody i mean i don't, I don't know too many people who would say oh no, no no i think we should totally act like we're holy so other people will think we're holy even though we're not i'm not necessarily talking about that situation i'm just talking about like what our worship leader was dealing with where you say i I know that my identity is in Christ, but I'm not feeling very joyful. And I don't know what to do with that. Like when I walk in the church or when I walk into a small group and somebody says, how are you? And I'm thinking like, I'm really, I'm really struggling. Um, But you also don't want to make it like a big thing. So you don't know whether do I fake it? Do I say this or whatever? Um, And then how do you guard against that becoming like how transparency being equated, equated with just, essentially a form of spiritual grumbling and complaining where like to be transparent means to complain about all the hard things that are happening. Yeah. I I mean, I've, I've experienced both things. I think, um, you know, both have their, both have their good intentions, I think, and, and both have liabilities. The, the faking holiness makes me think of like a child who's, you know, pretending like they're sleeping and you can see their eyes moving. Like people know, like people can tell, and that's part of it is like, we don't really fool anyone, especially not God when we do that. Right. Um, I love how you handled that conversation, by the way, just to back up on that a second. That it was oh, with a, the worship it was a, leader? Yeah. That's because I had no idea what to say to him. Well, that's like, well, beautiful. What do you think? Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to tell I you. I mean, I think there's truth in that though, because every single one of us is wired so differently. I, I mean, to me, the ultimate goal would be let's shift our thinking and our mind from ourselves and move it to our king, like you mentioned earlier. So like thinking about being a certain way and I should be this certain way, we end up unintentionally becoming very self-absorbed 
with, with how we are appearing and how other people are reacting to us. So part of it is just moving into this space where we make this about God. So for me, at least, because we all have those moments, right, where we just we feel maybe dry or we feel like, man, my reaction to that, even though it didn't escape my mind, was not what I want it to be, right? I think whenever we have those moments and we immediately or soon after use that as an opportunity to connect with God actively, like to talk with him, that is, that is the best possible thing because that's what we're designed for in those moments. Whether the thing is going really well, I'm really feeling joyful. Like that can result in us interacting with God and telling him, thank you for the joy you've given me on the day when, you know, it's the end of January and the sun isn't shining for another day and you feel it like, wow, I feel sad today. That's when we just, we got to tell him, God, I really feel sad today. I want to worship you. I know there's tons to be thankful for. I just don't feel it. And whenever our human interactions can do that together, like you and I together, Jay, praying to God like that, even better. So that's what I would say is we we are ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't focus on that, like making it, this has got to be about me right now, but we can be honest with each other and then go to God together with it. That's one of the reasons, you know, I love the Psalms. Everyone knows that by now. And that's one of the reasons I love the Psalms because in one Psalm, you will have someone lamenting deeply. And then the next line talking about the steadfast love of the Lord that doesn't cease and and the praise that God gets because of that. But both, both things are real. It wasn't pretending to lament one minute and then the next minute being joyful. That's just right. human, you know. And we and we're complex even in the moment. Like there, it's not just a linear thing of he was doubting and then he's believing. Exactly. They're both fighting inside of him, and that often happens to us. Which is one of the tricks in the church is that I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you're, um, where you're just sharing, you're being transparent, and you're saying, "Man, I, I'm just feeling discouraged today." And then someone tries to fix it by either oh, like preaching yes. a sermon to you or. Um, you know, or <laughs> you look at you, man, you sat up, you're like, well, yeah. I've definitely had that happen. And especially in small group settings, sometimes really well-meaning people try to fix you yeah, and give you some advice. And, um, man, there's a time when we might ask for advice, say, help me, what, what, what works right. for you? But usually in those moments, man, what we want is some empathy and yeah, I've been there and let's pray together. This, this is hard. Uh, and right. you know, that's what we need typically, but I think it's good to it's good to ask somebody what they need. So yep. if you have somebody that just shares, man, I'm I'm struggling with uh, I'm struggling with doubt right now, you know, or or and to just say to them, hey, man, I'm sorry, sorry you're dealing with that. I know I can I can empathize with that. Like how how can I help you in that? Because sometimes when I've been struggling, I've I've been I have a genuine question that I'm wrestling with. And then I, I could use some help. Like I'll go to somebody and say, hey, could you help me understand this? Or could you explain to me how you think through, you know, this suffering, the role of suffering or, you know, whatever. So so sometimes it's like I do want somebody to give me their thoughts on it. Then there are times where we just need to be reminded of something and we can communicate that. You're like, hey, could you know what I could really use right now? I could just use you reminding me of the gospel hmm. and just reminding me of our identity. Like I... I know these things are true, but I just need to hear somebody preach it, somebody else to like communicate it to me. I think that's one of the powers of music. So music that has a really like when we sing hymns and scripture saturated hymns that proclaim the gospel, you know, or other songs. Um, I have so often used those like that where I'm like, I need to be reminded of what is true. And so I'll listen, you know, or I'll read the Psalms or whatever. Um, and then sometimes Sometimes you might get a response when you say, hey, how can I help you? Is like someone's just saying, I just needed to verbalize it. I needed to get it out there. Like I know I know these things that are true. I just needed to confess that and, and make sure somebody else knows that that was going on in my heart. And then that's where you just like, okay, man, I'm, you know, I'm here. And, um, and you don't need to, you don't need to preach to them or anything like that. And that will cultivate a culture of transparency. Like when you have a culture of if you dare utter any like doubt or insecurity or worry or anything like that, you're going to get met with a theological sermon or treatise on 
on why what you're doing is is sinful or whatever like that you're not gonna no one's gonna be transparent in that venue because we're never like if someone's struggling with doubt they aren't like fully disbelieving they're just struggling in that moment with that and so you know i think i think yeah like you said not fixing Mm -mm. that well and you i'm glad you said that just the culture piece of that because the more we're part of a culture like kingdom oriented culture kingdom saturated right the more we will we will realize in those moments you and i have nothing we can really give a person we can repeat things that god has said we can um listen really well but then we know ultimately any sort of healing that might need to happen or encouragement is going to come from god's spirit it might come through something we say but it's going to be god's spirit who does that and so to me, it makes me want to increasingly press into the, I need prayer for this. And then you pray for me. And then you say, and I could use prayer for this. And we pray for each other. We share those things with each other. Um, and when we do it that way, where it's not just commiserating and complaining, it actually results in something really positive, like praying to God who can do things like that, fix things and heal things. Um, I think that you guard against some sort of um, navel gazing, you know, or, or the opposite, just faking it. Um, especially when our prayers for each other become uh, not primarily about circumstances, but about our heart mm. and our trust. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think cultivating a culture of that inside out and focusing on the heart and asking good questions, like, well, what do you, what do you want you know, what do you want to be true? And I, I've, there's so many people, like, for example, if someone's worried about an upcoming medical test, um, I'm careful to not, well, you know, like God's in control and, you know, which is true, but also is flippant to somebody who knows that God is in control, but they're also genuinely just, they're afraid still because we don't ever fully believe that even though we know that God is in control, we still don't fully comprehend what that means. Or I remember one time when I was worried about something and I had somebody say that uh, I was my youth pastor. And, um, I said, I said, I, I know that God is in control. That's what scares me. Like it was actually the issue of wondering, uh, questioning, not like, is he good or is this something, is he going to actually ask me to walk this hard road that I know will be good, but I don't want to, I don't want to walk it, you know? And that's, those are all legitimate feelings to have. But if you can ask like, well, if someone's worrying, say, well, what do you, you know, how can I help you? And then what, what do you want? And, um, sometimes you'll be made, like sometimes you, that will help uncover what's actually going on. They might say, well, I want, what I want is to stop worrying because I know God's in control and I'm, I'm frustrated with myself that I'm worried about this thing. Now you're going to deal with that differently, be able to comfort them and, and help them, you know, receive God's grace and mercy in that moment versus they might say like, well, what I want is for this test to come back negative. That's all I want. And they may so much so that it may seem like such a silly question, but remember Jesus asks those questions mm-hmm. like, well, do you want to be healed? Like, what kind of a question is that? You know, well, because you have to say that and confess that like, what do you actually want? And um, because Jesus always has something better, uh, but but that's just another way you cultivate kind of that inside out um, that inside out heart change is really is is valuing the heart and really getting to the heart of what somebody even if they say like they're struggling with a sin like it's a good question to ask. Well, what do you want exactly? Because do they want to be free of that sin? Do they want to be convinced that what they're doing is sin or not? Do they want to be okay with doing the sin? Like, do they want to be okay? Like, what what do they want? Like, do you really want to be set free from this? Or do you want to stop feeling conviction over it? Or do you want to stop, you know, like what? There's so many things that could come out of that. And, and so I think not just focusing on the external um fruit that's coming out, but to actually get down to the root of what's going, what's, what's happening. Yeah. Didn't you talk about duct taping yeah. oranges to apple trees or something like yeah. that? And I think that's, you know, obviously absurd enough that that is what we end up doing though, you know, and it actually, I think there, there, when we live that way, 
where what is inside is so disconnected from what's outside, the tension that builds in our soul is so great. Like there's this, we are disintegrated and we're meant to be integrated whole people. And we have these, these things that we're doing externally that don't match our heart at all. And I mean, we're all in process. So none of us is going to be able to live all the time outward and, and model and image Christ. We just can't. But he is transforming us. He is actually doing that, and I think it, we need to expect that he will continue. It's a, it's a trust issue that he can continue to produce in us what we have had a really hard time um, doing. So whether it's you know loving someone in our life who's just really challenging to love, um, we keep asking him, help me to do that. Help me to, to love from my heart this person that is so difficult um, that's going to be part of my life. You know, that's, a, that's a story that I'm sure we could hear over and over again. Um, we don't have to, we, we can trust that he will do something. doesn't mean it's going to be mm-hmm. easier. Like none of this is necessarily easy, um, but it's going to be better, way better. Well, it is. And, and that connects both to the, it's worth it, but it also connects to the small to big idea of the kingdom. Cause I was just thinking about this, that, you know, the example that I shared on Sunday and is just really common is when somebody says, I mean, I wanted to say this thing to this person, but I, I didn't. And there's there's a couple of ditches you can fall into. The most obvious one is then you see that as self-righteousness. Like you think that that's the fruit. The fruit is, you know, that's what we're really going after. Is the But that's the appearance of holiness. Like not saying a cruel thing that you wanted to say is not, that's not the end goal here. And um but on the other hand, you could just as easily fall into the ditch of not celebrating a small victory in that. Like that still can be an act of faith if you're confronting that. So, so you know, you know, every day basically, I want to say something horrible to you, Jeff, and I like it's just just like burrowing inside. So, like self control, right? So you know, I don't. I but but there is a sense in which, well, obviously. I should not just say it just because I'm feeling it, right? So so there is an act of faith that says, okay, I'm feeling this thing. I want to say this thing, but in faith, I'm going to not say it because I know that that would be dishonoring to Christ. But then to still, to not settle for that. Like that's the key is there are always going to be times where, yes, you're going to have to do the proverbial biting of your tongue, whether it's in an action that you want to do that you don't, or you like stop yourself from from um, going somewhere or looking at something or saying something or, or watching something, whatever the case is that you that there's there is going to be that like almost like a shock collar on a dog thing. But you do that as a step of faith and then look deeper and say, but I that's not what I want. Like what I want is a new tree. Like I want new roots. Um, I don't want to just rip off this fruit and duct tape you know, something else on there so that it looks like an orange tree. I actually want to be transformed. And that's when you start to get at the heart issue, but you can celebrate like those small mm-hmm. steps of faith. And where I used to struggle is I would either count the, the biting of my tongue as righteousness, or what often happened to me was I would still be covered in shame because of how I felt inside. And I'd be like, it would like double down on it because I'd think like, okay, well, I stopped myself, but you want it. You still wanted to say that rather than like the way it should look is in faith. I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to thank God for the grace and thank him for protecting me from saying that thing that was evil in my heart. And I'm going to confront the evil that's in my heart and, um, and confess that and, and work on, work on that and like ask him to, to root that out of me so that, the next time I'm in that situation, you know, Lord willing, eventually your hope is what flows out of your heart is something that's useful for building up and encouraging rather than something that's for evil. Mm-hmm. So those that's a small, and to believe that those little steps, small steps of faith is what will bring about big transformation in our hearts, as opposed to what we often do, which is we just think like we want it to be big right away. So mm-hmm. the classic of praying for patience Yep, and just... Like, I just want God to magically make me patient one day. 
where I just no longer, I'm no longer impatient with anybody. That's not the way the kingdom takes root. It's in little, small, step-by-step acts of faith where you just slow down and you trust Jesus in that moment. And then the next day you trust him in another moment and another moment. And those little things like eventually will bear fruit. Yeah, that's to me too. What's kind of implicit in what you're saying is that this is all of our life all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like following Jesus doesn't fit into the, in a few hours a week. Um, in order to, to do what you just described, we live with the knowledge that we are in God's presence all the time. And that the waking hours that aren't at church or not, you know, in the Bible or not a quiet time. Those are really crucial hours for our walk with him mm-hmm. because that's when this all happens, what you're describing. Now, maybe the processing will happen in a, in a set-aside time later, but the real living out the kingdom and the power of the kingdom and the values of the kingdom is happening when we're, we're being a neighbor or being a parent or a friend or a spouse or a coworker. That's when that all happens. To me, it's really encouraging because it means that I get to be with him all the time. Like mm-hmm. I get to experience like that's what's actually important about today. It wasn't that I would come in and have a staff meeting and then I'd record a podcast. Those are things I get to do while I'm living in the kingdom with Jesus today. That's the goal of the day. And those things flow out of that. That's just been really striking me lately that sometimes our assumptions about when this all happens right. are so narrow. They're happening as we live. Right. They are. And that's... that's Hmm. I was just thinking this is probably, you could tear this analogy apart if you want to. Um, but I was thinking about how that is the, that's the game. Like life is the actual game. Hmm. If you think about like a sports analogy or sports metaphor, the time and the word and everything that, that that's like, you know, eating healthy and resting and, you know, all those different things that go into when the game actually starts and the athletes out there, It'd be really weird if an athlete's like, yeah, I played terribly, but I, I ate really well. Like I, to, to be dismissive of, um, what the game actually was and to to totally miss the point and say, yeah, but I, I practiced and I ate really well and I slept. I got a really great night's sleep last night. I've never heard a athlete, you know, quarterback after in a post game press conference after they threw four interceptions be like, but I went to bed early last night as if that's like matters doesn't matter the press it doesn't matter and i think there's a there's an element of that that you know we can feel very religious by getting up early you know reading the bible praying um going to church on sunday doing all the things and then we go and then we yell at our neighbor for you know a tree branch that's over the fence or for their dog barking or the cashier for ringing up something incorrectly and just feel no connection at all. Like think that, yeah, th- no, but I honored God because I got up and had quiet time. And, um, but all of that was meant to prepare you for the, th- for the thing, yep. which is living and being salt and light here on earth in our everyday, in our everyday life and our everyday being and every interaction, all those other things are meant to prepare you for that. And so, yeah, do we fail in that and do it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, do we sometimes fail because of a lack of preparation? Yes. Sometimes, you know, an athlete's like, you know what? I just didn't, I didn't eat well today and I didn't, I didn't get any sleep last night. I stayed out late last night. Sometimes that is the reason. And sometimes it's other things. And we can always go back and say, you know what? I need to make sure I'm rested. Like I need to make sure that I'm at peace. I mean, think about that. When you interact with a coworker or a neighbor, think about all the things that contribute to whatever your response is about the barking dog. Like, how rested are you? And by rested, I don't mean just sleep. I mean, like, are you resting in Christ? Do you feel the peace of Christ in your heart? Is that ruling in your heart? Or is the chaos of the world ruling in your heart? Have you eaten well? Like, are you have you been in God's words so that you're reminded of your identity in him and his sovereignty over this? And like, are you practicing his presence and know that he's with you? Like, all of that preparation will help you in that moment of, um, that really matters. And, and you're right. We tend to think, we tend to think of the preparation as the thing that matters. Um, and it's not, and Jesus deals with this a lot, like, especially when it comes to Sabbath, he's like, Hey man, the whole point of Sabbath is like 
to restore you and rest so that you won't ignore your brother who's has, you know, needs a heal needs his hand to be healed, you know, or so you don't ignore the poor. Um, and like you're giving, for example, is meant so that you would have generous hearts and that you would be able to love the poor. Well, not so that you would feel like you did the thing just by giving. And now you go out and ignore the poor. So I don't know if that, so you, there you go. You can, I like that. that. You I do? like, I do. Thanks, I, Jeff. Well, it's, you're so, it's the difference so between making spiritual disciplines, the goal right. or spiritual disciplines being the means and to a bigger goal of living in the kingdom right now all day long. And that's, that's just very different. And I think, you know, all of us, we need to have these conversations because we all need the reminder. I could forget an hour from now that oh, that's yeah. what I'm doing. I mean, it's just the way life is. We're all in process with God together as we do this. We are. And it's, it's worth it. I mean, that was the, so I, I use those as like bookends, you know, those five. So we talked about how the kingdom is upside down, that it's uh, inside, it works inside out. And these are all ways that, that the, this, these are statements about the kingdom and primarily about how either characteristics of the kingdom or characteristics of how the kingdom takes shape and takes form. And so, you know, it's upside down, it's inside out, it grows small to big. Um, we talked about everyone's invited, which we didn't talk about here in, in the, the podcast, but um, we mentioned on Sunday, everyone's invited, but not all will come, which is like, that's kind of that two-headed coin. But all of that then is bookended by it's it's countercultural upside down. And on the other end, it it's worth it. Like it is a treasure hidden in a field. And I was thinking about how those are all connected. And earlier you were talking about, uh, we I don't remember if it was actually on the podcast or before, we were talking about volunteers. Um, oh, because I was thinking about the upside down nature of it and what feels countercultural. And I was the, immediately what popped into my head was asking for people to volunteer to do something, whether it's a service project or volunteering in the church or, um, you know, going on a prayer walk or going on a missions trip or whatever it is that when there's a lukewarm response to the ask, the, the cultural thing, our intuition tells us like, we'll lower the bar, like make it easier for them to participate in it. And then we'll have more people that will participate in it. But the kingdom way is like the bar gets raised. Like whenever Jesus is like, he, he raises the bar when people leave, like he just keeps raising the bar. And, and that's because what you're doing in that kind of a culture is you realize like you're saying this is worth it. Like you're asking, um, like if I'm having trouble finding volunteers for something, I'm not going to lower the bar. I'm going to, I'm going to raise it because there's, it's, it's more likely that pe people, when they're talking about um, doing hard things, the question that most people are asking is, is it worth it? It's not, well, I would do it if you made that hard thing easier. It's, is it worth it? And so like when I'm dealing with young people that want to get married, I'm going to be honest with them. Marriage is hard, but it's worth it. Like having children is difficult, but it's worth it. Being an overseas missionary is hard but it's worth it. Like the, you can't, you're never going to, I mean, imagine if we train missionaries or tried to recruit missionaries by saying, Oh, but you know what, with Skype and everything, you hardly even feel, you hardly even miss your family. And you know, lots of people support you. So you're not going to ever have to worry about money. And like the ministry's great. Like here's all these great stories or whatever. It's actually really easy. Well, you might get more people at the beginning, but they're not going to last. Mm -hmm. The people who last, the people you want in the missions field, are you say, this is hard, but it's it's worth it. And that is ultimately the kingdom. When Jesus is laying this out, he's not he's not saying any of this flippantly. He's not saying like, oh, yeah, this is going to be totally easy to do this. Um, but he's saying like, that's why you have to die to yourself. Like you pick up your cross and die to yourself and, and follow me. And But he does it unapologetically because he knows what the Father is preparing. Like he knows his father. And if you know the father and you know what he's preparing, then literally anything you'd ask, that's, you know, when the disciples tell him, we gave up all kinds of things for you. And he's like, you didn't give up anything. Like there's nothing that you've given up that's not going to be repaid 10 times, 100 times. Like it's, it's like amazing. You think about like, if we could come up with some kind of metaphor that would make something so, such a no brainer. But that's what it is. Like if you actually see the treasure of the kingdom, 
then anything that God would ask for you in any moment would seem like, well, yeah, what else? What, what else? You know, like if I told you I had $5 million sitting over for you and I'm like, ah, the thing is you actually got to walk out to my car to get it. You'd be like, okay, what, like, what else do you need me to do? Pretty like, easy. Happy, happy yeah. to do that. Like, oh, but you're going to actually have to unlock my car. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's totally fine. Like, what's the catch? And if we really saw the kingdom for what it was, we would be asking God, like, what's the catch? Like, wait, you, this is who you're going to say that I am. And this is what I receive from you. And this is what, who I get to be. And like what this, this is like, it's the classic too good to be true, but it's our sin that perverts the way we see things. And so we want to, you know, we manipulate all of that, but yeah. Well, and to me, that's where, again, this interaction with God is so important because we need, he, he's the one that helps us to see it for what it really is, you know, and to see what well, we all crave life in some way, right? We want life. We want it to the full and we seek it in all the wrong places in our sin nature. We just do. We, we think this is going to bring me life and we pursue it and it doesn't. This person will or this whatever, this thing I need to possess. And Jesus is redefining and helping us understand what will actually bring us life. And it's all it has to do with him and his kingdom and his father and being full of his spirit. And that's something that he teaches us. I do think like when he called his first followers, some people didn't follow him, right? Right? They did. They walked away. Yep. But those who did, did so because they saw what was on offer as unbelievably valuable and you'd be stupid to pass it up. Right. It wasn't because they had to. Right. No. <laughs> it, it was, everything was worth leaving for him. And so we need to ask God that do that in us. When we sense that our heart doesn't quite believe that, because there's all these moments, right? Is this worth it or not? We do that. Whether or not we say it explicitly, we do feel that. And that's where we ask him for help. Teach me, God. Instruct me. Show me. Fill me with a desire for what is really good and help me to see in my life what is really not good and is not worth the time and the sacrifice that I give to it. Yeah, that. so I, I would probably close with that brings up a, another good diagnostic question. So earlier we asked, like, well, what do you want? asking the question of well, do what do I believe like do I believe it's worth it asking that question has been so helpful in mine uh, like when I'm battling sin or when I'm like confronted with some of these things like the question is do I believe that the way of the kingdom is better do I believe it's worth it and a lot of times in my heart like I have to confront the fact that I'm saying well it doesn't feel like it here like I'm I'm, I'm looking at it and saying man walking out to the parking lot to get that treasure chest just seems like a lot of work that isn't worth it. I'd rather stay here where it's warm. I know it sounds stupid, but that's that's the perversion of our brains that we would actually think that. But it's good to acknowledge that and realize that to say, um, to to press in. That will reveal some heart level issues when you're wondering, okay, why why am I struggling to get up, for example, to just start my day like spending some time with the Lord, or why am I struggling to speak to my kids? in a life-giving way like what's what's going on there like if i confront that and say well i know that this is the way jesus would have me speak to them but if i say well i'm not well do i do i think that the way of jesus is is worth it do i think it's better and then i start to confront things well no because if i just do that then they might still make these mistakes you know or they might still like i'm confronting these things where i don't see the kingdom as a treasure hidden in a field and that will reveal some of those hard things so that goes back to that idea of the inside out way that the kingdom grows and that in the confronting of that um that that's how i actually grow and am sanctified and so often we just want to we just leave, leave it at the surface because we think um it's kind of like a student who wants an easy test there are students who want a really easy test and then there are students who want a challenging test because the ones who want a challenging test are the ones who, I mean, sometimes it's because they want to prove like what they know, but, but in its best form, a student who wants a challenging test is the one who says, I really want to know this. Like, I want to, I want to make sure that I've learned this and I know it. So give me a hard test. So that'll reveal if I, there's something I don't know versus the person who's like, I don't really care if I learn this or not. I just want to pass the test. And I think spiritually we do that a lot where we just say, okay, 
I don't really care if God brings patience in my heart. I, what I really want is to never have to have patience. So if you could just create a life for me that doesn't require any of that, I don't really care if I have true patience and that the peace of Christ is ruling in my heart. I just care that I can look like it and I can pass the test. So give me easy, give me easy um, tests and then I pass those and then I feel good about it. Um, or we'll create our own test for it and say like, see, I'm, I'm generous, I'm patient, I'm kind, I'm whatever. But the hard tests are in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, you know, how do you treat your enemies? Do you, you know, there are the parable of the banquet in Luke 14 of, are you going to invite people who can pay you back? Um, and Jesus will say things like, well, what credit is that? Like you're kind to people who are kind to you. You love those who love you. What, what credit is that to you? Um, what we should want as Christ followers are the hard tests because then that reveals that's the kindness of God. Because if we think we have the peace of Christ, well, then when he, when that gets tested, that reveals, oh, you know what? I snapped at my kids there. That's, I don't have the peace of Christ ruling in my heart and I can confess that and I can pursue the peace that, that really will surpass, you know, will, will, you know, be inexplainable and surpass understanding and, and all of that, that that's what I really want. And so to get that, like there need to be like, I need to be a student who wants hard tests. And I'm not saying ask for, like, I don't pray for suffering. No, I pray that God will show me there's merciful, kind, gentle ways. He can show me that I'm lacking. I mean, it doesn't take much for me. Like, let's be honest, the peace of Christ. Like if I'm, if I want that in my life, all it takes is someone cutting me off in traffic. All it takes is a child talking back to me. Like it doesn't it doesn't take cancer necessarily to like no, notice that. It we it it's in really small things that we can notice it if we're if we're attentive to it. I mean, I really like like what you're saying because it to me it highlights the relational nature of all of this. Yeah. Too that God is working something in us and these are opportunities um, to walk with him through it. There's one book I really like called how people change mm, yeah, and they, the way good. that the way he described it much like what you just described, but that, you know, heat meaning like circumstances that are challenging when the heat goes up in our life, thorns can come out or fruit can come out just like in the soil, right? Mm-hmm. Thorny things or fruit things. And God's design is that even the things that are so hard, they end up producing fruit. And some of the fruit, could be what you just described saying, yep, I feel that God. And I can now, I see from you that this is lacking and now I can work with you and ask you to help me mm-hmm. with that area. And I wouldn't have known that before that guy cut me off, even though my response wasn't what I wanted it to be. That's still a fruitful response in the end. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah. And that, that kind of like the relational approach that is, that is what we want to be as a church family. That's why we are God's family on mission doing this together. So we want to encourage you to, to connect with one another around these things. Be, be honest, find people in the family that you can be transparent with and, and just practice confessing these things and practice like sharing the gospel with one another and reminding one another of, of who we are called to be and that we're not already there yet and we haven't arrived and to be help us cultivate a culture um, where we we do see the kingdom work in countercultural ways um, but really beautiful ways so um, there's ways that we can help you do that please reach out you can email us call us um, chat with us on sundays uh, and we would love to walk alongside of you uh, in this in this journey that's what we're here for and um, so we hope that this has been helpful to you today Until next time, grace and peace.